We are in a series this summer called The Summer of Love, where we're hearing from different preachers coming up and sharing what's on their heart. Uh, We've had some church planters come up. Uh, We had Terrell Davis, one of our elders, last week. And this week, I am up again to talk a little bit about what I call the spiritual compass. So I'm going to tell you an unverified story about Albert Einstein. We don't know if this is true or not, but it makes a good sermon illustration, so I'm going to use it. So there's this story about Albert Einstein that he was on a train going from Princeton where he had an office. And the conductor was coming by. He was picking up everybody's tickets, punching them. He came up to Albert Einstein, asked for his ticket, and Professor Einstein reached in his pockets. He couldn't find his ticket. He looked down in his pants pockets. He couldn't find his ticket. And then he looked in his briefcase. He looked around. He couldn't find it. The conductor said, oh, it's okay. Dr. Einstein, we all know who you are. It's okay. You don't need to show me your ticket. We trust you. You're good. And he said, oh, thank you so much. So the conductor continued going down the train, punching everybody's tickets. As he was about to leave that train car to go on the next, he just glanced back and he saw Albert Einstein down on his hands and knees looking underneath his seat trying to find the ticket. So he ran back. He said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. We know who you are. We trust you. And Dr. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am, but what I don't know is where I am going. (laughs) So there are times in our lives when we know exactly where we're going. When we graduate from high school, most of us know, okay, our next step is we're going to go off to college. We know what the plan is. When we graduate from college, we go out and we start a job and we pursue our careers with the idea of advancing and, uh, you know, growing in our careers. At some point, many of us meet that special person and we go out on a few dates and then we get engaged, we get married. We know what the sequence of events is supposed to be. We know exactly what's next. But each of us have seasons of clarity and direction in our lives, time when we have a plan for what's next and we know exactly how to move forward. But in reality, we all have seasons when it's not quite as clear, times when we don't have any major transition or event that we're working toward, and times when we can feel like we're just going through the motions, just kind of marking time. Now, our walk with God can oftentimes be similar to this. We all have mountaintop experiences, times when we remember that, wow, I experienced the presence of God in really powerful ways. I remember back in the 90s, in the mid-90s, there was this movement going on called the Promise Keepers Movement. It was this movement of uh, men who would get together in stadiums, and there were, you know, tens of thousands of men who would meet for teaching of the word and worship together. And I remember being in the Promise Keepers, and I was just blown away by experiencing the presence of God. I remember um, we were at, the, at a stadium in downtown Atlanta, and I'm guessing there were at least 50,000 men. 50,000 men in there singing, How Great Thou Art Together. It was like, wow, this is really powerful. And then they were doing all this modern music, all this modern worship music. And to tell you the truth, I didn't like modern music until that time. Like, I didn't like modern worship music. And I remember driving in my my truck after that, I think I had a truck, maybe I didn't have a truck at that. I was driving the car after that and I had put in a cassette tape of some praise and worship music and I remember Cindy saying, why are you listening to this? You don't like this kind of music. And I said, well, I don't know. I just, I experienced God's presence in a really powerful way 
in worship. And I knew at that time that worship was a really big deal for me personally, and I wanted to devote my life into helping others to connect with God in worship. So we all have those mountaintop experiences, those times when we encounter God in really powerful ways. But honestly, sometimes our spiritual lives can become a little routine, a little uneventful. So much so that sometimes we can get off track and we can lose our way, lose our direction. We can forget where we're going. And kind of like Albert Einstein, we know we're on the train, but we're not really sure where we're gonna go. Now today, I wanna share with you a tool that I use in my discipleship groups called the Spiritual Compass. Now, if you've been in a D group with me before, you know all about this. We talk about this every week. But this is a tool that I use to help my discipleship groups and help me kind of stay on track in our Christian life. So it's called the Spiritual Compass. Now, if you've been at DCC for any time at all, if, you, if it's your first week here or second week, or you've been here for a long time, you've probably heard that we are about being disciples and making disciples. We try to make that very obvious to you. But where exactly does that come from? The phrase, be disciples, make disciples, why do we say this is our mission statement? We believe that our mission statement represents a summary of all that scripture teaches us to be and do. Now, let me tell you about that. Let me prove that to you. Let's look at a couple of verses. To be a disciple or a follower of Jesus, we need to be, first of all, people who are striving to obey what Jesus called the great commandment. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 22. We're gonna look at Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Hopefully, this isn't gonna be new to you. If you've been here for a while, you're gonna, it's a little bit of a review right here. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, it says, when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus mentioned all the law and the prophets, what he was really saying is all of scripture, all of what we call the Old Testament. He was saying, look, I can sum up all of scripture with these two commands. You're called to love God and to love others. So disciples, being a disciple means that we are called to love God and love others. This is the greatest commandment. But Jesus also added one more commandment after the resurrection. He met with his disciples and he told them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you can turn there if you want, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If you've been in a D group with me, you have this memorized. It's, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So our mission here at DCC to be disciples and make disciples comes from the great commandment and the great commission. We believe that summarizes all that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And each week in my discipleship groups, we hold each other accountable for how are you doing in each one of these areas? How are you doing with loving God, with loving others, and in making disciples? 
And to do this, I use what I call the spiritual compass. And there it is up there. I want to thank Anna Svensson for actually my little stick drawings um, weren't that great. She made it look a lot better. So um, I want to thank her for that. So let's walk through this. I want to walk through spiritual compass. Let's pretend like you're in a D group with me and I'm explaining this for the first time. So if you want intimacy with someone, if you want to love God, you need to spend time with them. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you get to know them and the more intimate you, you become. If you are not actively, if I'm not actively pursuing God, I'm not just gonna stay where I am, but I'm gonna be pulled away from God by the current of the world, the devil, and my flesh. It's not like we're all floating in a big swimming pool, just kind of floating there, and it doesn't matter if we pursue God or not. We're in a river where the current is pulling us away from God, so we need to be proactive in moving toward him. So just as I wouldn't think of doing anything in the morning without what? Coffee, yes, let's not be too overly spiritual. We'll, we'll bring Jesus into this in a second. Just as I wouldn't think, that, I'm not gonna do anything in the morning. First thing, either Cindy's up early making coffee or I'm going down and I'm making coffee. It's like the dog's at the door crying, whatever. You can wait, we're getting our coffee first. So just as I have this addiction to caffeine, you can call me out on that later if you want. We need to build a holy addiction to spending time with the Lord, reading his word and talking to him. As we spend more and more time in scripture, we learn more truths about God. We learn truths about ourselves and we learn truths about the world. The more time I spend in the word pursuing him, the more intimate I become with him and the more I begin to look at the world through the grid of scripture. And ultimately, the more time I spend with God, the more I am loving him because I'm becoming more and more intimate. So I have a friend of mine who went on a mission trip a few years ago, single guy, went on a mission trip to Germany. And while he was there, he met this young Christian German girl. They hung out, they became friends, whatever. And he didn't think a lot about it. He went back with me the next year. We went back to Cologne, Germany. And then the first day we were there, he said, Hey, Tim, uh, she just, she heard I was in town and she reached out to me. She wanted to get coffee. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, go hang out with her, whatever. So he went out and he had coffee with her and he came back and I said, hey, how'd it go? And he said, surprisingly well. He was really surprised at how well they got along. Well, it turns out they had a lot in common and, you know, he had to come back into the U.S. And it's kind of hard to have a relationship that way. But what they started doing is they started FaceTiming each other and Skyping. This was before like Zoom, before COVID, um, when everybody uses Zoom. But they would start doing dinners, so like make dinners together and cook with each other remotely and stuff. And ultimately, the relationship, as they spent more and more time together, the relationship grew and they ended up getting engaged and getting married. Um, I never had to like convince him, you know what, you really like this person, you should really spend time with him. I, I never had to talk him into that. That was something that, of course he's gonna do that because he loved this person, he was building a relationship, so he wanted to spend more time with him. But you know, as time goes by in our relationship with the Lord, often we kind of forget about him. We can take him for granted. We can lose that wonder. You know, when we first put our trust, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you first put that trust in Jesus, how radical that was and how your life changed. 
it starts to become, if we're not careful, like, yeah, I know he's out there, but I'm kind of busy this morning, or I'd rather just read the news this morning or not spend time with him at all. And the less time we spend with him, the less importance he has in our lives and the more distant that he seems to us. Now, in our D groups, remember, we're pretending we're in a D group together. We're gonna ask one another, how are we doing with our personal devotions? Not from a legalistic perspective. We're not calling each other out and said, oh, you missed three quiet times this last week. God is mad at you and he's gonna smite you. No, we're trying to build these holy, holy um, addictions to God where it seems so odd and so unusual that we don't spend time with the Lord, that we, it becomes an, a habit to us, that the natural thing you do is, yeah, you get coffee, you sit there for a little bit, and then you have your quiet time. You have time with the Lord. We're pursuing a relationship with him. So we're in a D group. How are we doing with pursuing God? Has that become a holy habit for you? Or do sometimes you come home from church or whatever and you sit your Bible down and it's sitting there all week long? is time in the word and prayer, a holy addiction in our lives. So that's the up arrow, pursuing God, loving God. Now, there's also a down arrow in the spiritual compass of loving God. So we love God by pursuing him, a relationship through scripture reading, through prayer, through worship, through those things, but also it needs to come and affect our lives. Another aspect of loving God is obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. God's love language, you've heard Jeff say this before, God's love language is obedience, that we deliberately and persistently put to death our sinfulness. Now, scripture teaches us that, again, there are forces at work that are pushing us away from God. It talks about the world, the devil, and our flesh. The world, turn on the TV, look at TikTok, oh my gosh, and see what pops up on your screen for that. You can see how the world is kind of pushing you away from godly values. We have the devil who is actively trying to, trying to take God out in the world, trying to corrupt his, his creation still. And we have our flesh, our old sinful habits, which work against us. Now, I wanna look at this issue of sin a little bit and I wanna do this by what you've heard us say up here a few times before, many times before probably, uh, we're gonna do something called the law of first mention. Now, when you're studying the Bible, a principle of biblical interpretation or studying the Bible is something called the law of first mention. And that says that if you wanna find out about a particular word, an idea, a concept or whatever, go and see where that idea or concept or word is first mentioned. And that's gonna tell you a lot about the roots of this. So according to the law of first mention, if we go back to Genesis chapter three, we're gonna see the first sin mentioned in the Bible. Now we all know the story, Adam and Eve were created in the garden. Everything was perfect. God basically gave them free reign, say, do whatever you want, enjoy this creation. It was made for you to enjoy together with me. And God just gave them one rule. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do whatever else you want. It was free, it was paradise. Now, Satan saw his opportunity to defile the creation by tempting Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. And it tells us in Genesis 3, the first time we see sin mentioned in the Bible, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
It was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Even though God told them, just don't eat of this tree, she saw the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh. She saw it was a light to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and when she saw the tree was desired to make one, one wise, the boastful pride of life. This was the first mention of the three categories of temptation to sin that we're all susceptible, that John reiterates in 1 John 2, 16, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw it was good for food. It was a delight of the eyes, desired to make one eyes. He said, these are not from the Father, but of the world. So in our D groups together, we categorize these a little bit more easily. We call these the three Gs. We call these lust of the flesh, girls, lust of the eyes, gold, boastful pride of life, glory. So we ask each other, how are you doing controlling the lusts of your flesh? It may not be girls, could be gluttony or whatever. How are you doing controlling the lust of the eyes? That you're not just trying to store up more and more treasures and store up your treasures in heaven, but you're tre- storing up your treasure on earth. And how are you doing with the boastful pride of life that we all slip into this thing of wanting to be gods of our own lives? All that came from that very first temptation in Genesis 3. The three Gs, gold, glory, girls, if you're a lady, guys, glory, gold. Yes, so the three Gs. These are three categories of temptation that we constantly need to be aware of and understand that they have a relentless pull on our lives. Now, as followers of Jesus, we need to be proactive in putting these things to death. Although we become a new creation, when we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the old patterns of our sinful selves are still there, so calling out. Now, I want to look a little bit more into this nature of sin. I want us to understand what we're up against. So the first sin occurred in Genesis 3, but the first time the word sin is used is in Genesis 4. This is in when, um, before Cain killed his brother Abel. Don't have time to go into the story, but Cain was angry and he was pouting and he was, you know, he was about to kill his brother. But God said to him three things. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to control you and you need to overcome it before it's too late. We need to understand that even at our best, no matter how spiritually mature we are, no matter how much we think we're over all this, sin is crouching at our door waiting for the perfect opportunity to pounce. Now, I'm not a cat person, so I apologize if you're a cat person for all the evil cat things I'm about to say. So... It's kind of like a cat. Have you seen a cat kind of pounce up on something? They get up there and they'll, they'll go up there and do the little feet and stuff and they're getting ready to pounce. That's a picture of what sin is like. Sin is waiting for that opportunity to pounce. It's waiting for a time when we are vulnerable to pounce on us. If you have a cat, how many of you wake up in the morning and the cat's kind of sitting right there looking at you, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's not because the cat loves you. The cat is planning your murder. He's looking at a way to kill you. So just, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but just know that's what's going on. Sin is not just out there somewhere, it's crouching at our doors. And it wants not just to trip us up, it wants to control us. We need to 
be aware of that and, uh, and keep, our, keep our radar up for that. Every little lustful thought is a beginning, it's a seedbed, it's a tiny seed of immorality and adultery. Every time somebody pulls in front of me and my initial inclination is to wave at them and tell them that they're number one, think about that. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yo, what does that say about you that you laugh so much about that? Um, every time that, that thought crosses my mind, that's a seedbed, that's a, that's a seed of murder. Every time I have that proud thought, that's a seedbed of totally eliminating God from my life. So how are we doing? How are you doing? Are you continually putting to death the sin that we fight against or have you just given up in some areas of your life and just saying, I can't fight this anymore. I just, it's, it's just who I am. First Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we talk about this in our discipleship groups. How are you doing with the three Gs? Where are you struggling? Let's, let's pray about that. Let's encourage one another and let's be each other's cheerleaders. So we love God. We pursue him with our up arrow. We practice a life of godliness with our down arrow. But Jesus bundled another command with love God. He kind of bundled with it. He said that the other great commandment was to love others, was to love neighbors as yourself. And in the spiritual compass, I represent as this as these concentric circles of your family, going out to your community, going out to the world. Now, a general principle, again, I can't do a deep dive into everything here. A general principle is, as much as it depends on us, we need to try to maintain good relationships with everybody in our spheres of influence. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, if you're presenting your offering at an altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, drop what you're doing, leave the worship service, go and make amends with your brother first and then come back and worship me. It was a really big deal. So much so that Jesus said, as you're pursuing me, be sure that your relationships are good. Now, if you're in a D group and you're married, the primary relationship that we're gonna talk about is your marriage. As men, we're called to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church. So we'll ask one another, how's that going? How's your marriage relationship going? If I'm discipling a single guy, I'm gonna say, how's it going honoring your parents? That's what you're called to do, to honor your parents. As we work out to the next circle, we'll talk about relationships within the church, the community of Christ followers, and how are you serving the world? So in our D groups, we talk about this because this is a big deal. Love God, love others, make disciples. Now, I wanna do a quick rabbit trail here. We all need to have these kind of relationships where we can be open and honest and real and transparent with one another. I'm gonna go back to another evil cat example, okay? So this time we're talking about big cats. We're talking about lions. Uh, if you've watched any National Geographic or what's the old, the old Mutual of Omaha stuff, remember that? Yeah, yeah, wild, what is that? Wild Kingdom. What was the guy's name as so-and-so goes out to chase the wild beasts, I stay in the, remember his name? Jim, uh, something like that. As Jim goes out and chases the wild lions, I stay here safely in the Jeep. You know, I was always wondering about Jim. But if you've seen any of, those, any of those shows or anything about lions and the way that they attack, so you got this big herd of wildebeests that's out there. These things are huge. 
And they're just kind of like hanging out, watching them, you know, just waiting for that opportunity. Again, sin crouching at their door. And then they find one that's a little bit slower. Maybe it's a younger one, or maybe it's one that's older or sick or whatever that gets separated from the flock. And that's the one that they all go pounce upon. That's the same thing for us. We need the safety of the herd. We need to be in community together. Walking with Jesus, being a follower of Jesus is not a solo expedition. We need to be in community. Now here at DCC, we talk about three primary relationship environments we wanna focus on. We have our worship services, we're all in here together. We have community groups, which are smaller, you know, anywhere from uh, half a dozen to 20 people or whatever. And we have our D groups. Those are our groups where it's typically same sex. It's a smaller group getting together, really go deep life on life. Um, now, if you regularly attend our Sunday morning worship services, we are so glad. And that's really, really awesome that you're doing that. But you are not gonna experience all the benefits of community and transparent relationships in this worship service. Now, I know that at least 39% of you really like doing the awkward greeting, right? Uh, the, other, the other group don't. But you're not gonna learn a lot about somebody when we do our Sunday morning greeting with, hey, how you doing? I'm great, how are you? Great, okay, good, let's go on. We need to be plugged in to relationships with one another. So it's one of the things you're gonna be hearing about more and more, we're gonna keep saying the same things that we need to be plugged into a community group or a D group. So do you have a safe environment? Do you have a group of people that you can be transparent and honest with, people that you are sharing what's really going on? If you stopped coming to church, would anyone even notice and follow up with you? We need to be in relationships with one another. So let's move on. So love God, we have our up arrow, we have our down arrow, up arrow, we're pursuing him. Down arrow, we're practicing holiness. We have our relationships, loving others, our different concentric circles. We wanna make sure all these relationships are going on. And now I wanna talk about the horizontal relations or the horizontal line, which is making disciples. Now, we're called to not only be disciples of Jesus, but we are commissioned to make disciples of Jesus. Now, as we often say, you hear it here over and over, discipleship is like two wings of a plane, okay? A lot of times when people talk about discipleship, and especially in Western church culture, they're talking about, let's get the right train. Okay, they're talking about this side over here, the training side. Well, we have our discipleship groups. That's when we do Sunday school and we read the Bible, we do that together. That's good. We do a pretty good job at all that stuff. But the other wing of the plane is evangelism. Where does that come from? It comes from the verse where Jesus said to make disciples. How did he say to do it? He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which means you're reaching out to people who don't know Christ and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So it's two wings of the plane. As I said, this training, we're pretty good. Jeff's an amazing Bible teacher. We have all kinds of opportunities to be trained up in the faith, what leaks and where we need to put our attention and why you're probably gonna dunk me in the dunk tape tank is because we, we need to talk about evangelism more and more. So we overemphasize this because it's the leakiest thing that we have. Now, I just wanna say three quick things about evangelism this morning. First of all, Many of us shrink back from sharing our faith because we feel like it's, it's too much on us and we think, wow, if I don't say the right words, I'm gonna fail. 
we think that evangelism looks like I share the gospel with somebody and a light goes off and they immediately fall down on the ground and they say, I believe, I believe. That's not what usually happens. It might occasionally happen, but it's usually pretty rare that you share the gospel with somebody who's never heard and they immediately say, what must I do to be saved? And um, all this happens. Usually what happens is our job is to play one small part in bringing them closer and closer to God. Now, I'm gonna throw something up here and don't try to look at the details. This is called the Engel Scale. You probably can't even read it. There's too much information on there. But what I want this to show you, the Engel scale kind of um, puts people on a grid of negative 10 being, I don't even believe in God, I reject the idea of a God, to a negative one of saying that I'm ready to accept Jesus. If we look at people that we're sharing the gospel with, not as everybody being a negative one of like, oh gosh, I've got to get them to pray the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus, this kind of frees us up a little bit because I could be meeting with somebody, talking to somebody who's like, I do not believe in God. You know, great, I don't have a responsibility for bringing you all the way. All I want to do is bring you one step closer. I want you to walk away from this conversation just feeling like, well, at least this guy's a nice guy. So we're not gonna get into the minutiae of this. I just wanna point it out out there. It's called the Engel Scale. You can go out on the web, you can look at it and everything. But I want you to know that our goal is to bring people one step closer to Jesus. So evangelism is a process. It's not a one-time event. Second thing I wanna say about evangelism, since it leaks a lot, is because it's so leaky, and I bet it's leaky in your life as well. I try to hardwire it into my life so that I can't avoid it. What do I mean by that? Um, I go on short-term mission trips. Short-term mission trips to me are boot camps for evangelism. When we went to Rome a few weeks ago, every day we're getting up in the morning and we're thinking about, okay, I'm, I'm here on mission. We're praying about who am I gonna meet? Who am I gonna share the gospel with? It's a boot camp for mission trips. And you're gonna hear more about that in September and we're gonna lay out some mission trips for next year. I also hardwire into my life. Twice a year, I lead a two-month missional community. Many of you have been in the missional community group with me where we get together and we hold each other accountable about how are you doing interacting with your non-Christian friends? Um, we, we wanna make it a priority. And then the third thing I do is MID groups. Every week we ask about this because we go through the spiritual compass. We ask about how are you doing with evangelism? And thirdly, the final thing I wanna say about evangelism, uh, there's a barrier to evangelism in that unfortunately many of us don't have a lot of non-Christian friends. When you become a Christ follower, uh, you know, we do get plugged into community groups. We get in relationships, which is great. I'm a, I'm, I'm a proponent of that. But also, we start spending so much time with each other, we have such a great time, it kind of blocks out opportunities for us to be with other people. And we naturally just, we look at our weeks and realize, man, I didn't hang out with anybody who's anywhere on this side this entire week. So we need to be intentional about, if we're called to be fisher of, um, fishers of men, as Jesus calls us to do that, we need to have our fishing ponds. So do you know where your fishing pond is? So I got some friends who every week they go to a restaurant, a really nice restaurant over in Cobb County, and every week they have dinner there, 
And what they do is they eat their dinner, they sit up at the bar on Friday nights and they have dinner there. Why do they sit at the bar? Because everybody's around. They get to know all the staff there. Actually went to a birthday party over there of one of the people who was celebrating at the same place. All the staff came by, gave them big hugs and everything. They're building relationships and they've seen many of the staff there come closer to Jesus. I think they've even seen some who were involved in Bible studies with them and everything. So you need to figure out where are your fishing ponds? If it's, you don't wanna go hang out in a bar on a Friday night, um, although I'm giving you free access to do that. So if somebody catches you at a bar this Friday, you say, well, my pastor told me to be here. So we can talk about that later. And I'm sure I hear about that later. Um, if you can work remotely, you know, we're all working remotely. I can sit at my desk here and work on my email or I can go to a coffee shop and obviously buy something while I'm there, but I can be out there. I can get to know the people who work there. So that's, those are my fishing ponds. So where are your fishing ponds? We're in a D group together. How are you doing on making disciples? Is evangelism even on your radar? Are you being intentional about it? So for the other wing of the plane, all I'll say, again, we do a great job on this. Um, if you're a little more mature in the faith, are you building into the lives of younger believers? And many of you are. So let's wrap this up. The walk of a Christ follower assuredly has mountaintop experiences, life-changing life moments or seasons, times when we experience God in really powerful, palpable ways. And we're very grateful for those moments or seasons. And as we look in the rearview mirror of our lives, those serve as monuments of the reality and the presence of God. But if we're honest, much of our lives are what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. Seasons when we're just called to faithfully execute the practice and patterns of being a Christ follower, patiently waiting on the Lord for results. Peterson said in that book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he said there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what early generations called, called of Christians called being in holiness. So how are you doing with your spiritual compass? We're ending our D group. How are you doing? Up, are you pursuing God? Has it become a holy habit for you? Time in the word, time in prayer, time in worship. Is it playing out? Are you putting to death the desires of flesh, the boastful pride of life, the lust of the eyes? Are you working on those things? Are you in relationship with one another? You know, are there people that you can be in this game with who are gonna help you and encourage you? And are you intentionally not only growing as a Christ follower, but also are you reaching out to those who don't know Christ? That's your spiritual compass. These are kind of the ways to keep on track. So does anyone feel like you got this 100%? Everybody good, 100%, you're good. Or does anybody feel a little bad? Okay, it's good that you feel bad because there's a great um, news for us all this morning. There is a man who lived, who did all this, and he did it perfectly. There was a man who lived, who loved his father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was a man who lived a perfectly holy life never once sinned, never, not, never once succumbed to temptation. 
There was a man who was in perfect relationship with theirs. He spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth in love and he built a community of followers. There's a man who gave us an example of what it means to make followers of him, that he poured into a group of other people. That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's done this right. So I would say if you're here today and you are examining uh, Christianity, if you're not really sure, if you're still, I'm not sure about this, let's talk, you know, let's have those conversations. Let's talk about this. Let's read the Bible together and see if I can help you to come maybe one step closer. But if you are a Christ follower, let's take this very seriously. We wanna stay on course. Imagine if we had a church full of people who were all walking on course together, that we were tracking together, following God together. So I'm gonna close this in prayer. I'm gonna set up communion. And as you leave today, I have a special gift for you. You are all going to receive an amazing compass, okay? These cost about 60 cents a piece. So please do not use this for any kind of like journey or expedition, it may or may not work. <laughs> but you can put your keys on it and you can use this as a reminder as you go about your life of staying on track of these areas that we talked about, how to stay on track of being a disciple and making disciples of Jesus. So I'm gonna close this in prayer. And then uh, after I pray, we're gonna celebrate communion together. It's what we do every week. It's one of the ways that we remember Jesus and we honor him. Now, we practice open communion here at Dunwoody Community Church, which means if you're a Christ follower, you are more than welcome to come and join us in communion. If you're still in process, um, nobody's gonna judge you. We ask that you refrain from this today. We have gluten-free over here for those of you who need that. And I'm gonna ask that after I pray, we'll take a little bit of time, meditate on these things, and then uh, we will take the elements together. So you'll come up, get the elements, go back to your seats, and I'll lead us as we take them together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown us the way. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have demonstrated the way, that you are the one that demonstrated loving the Father and loving others. And you loved us so much that you gave your life for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of you, you gave your life for us on the cross. And Lord, I pray for all of us, that all of us would, would stay just steadfast in our movement toward you, Lord, that you would keep us from getting off track or getting off course but we would continue to pursue you faithfully. I pray for all my brothers and sisters that, that would be the case. And Lord, now as we move into this time of communion together, I pray that you would bring to mind all the things that we need to confess to you. You told us to examine our hearts before we take the elements and you told us to remember you as we do that. So we do that now, Lord. We offer this time to you. We pray that you would meet with us and speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.